morning. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6. If you're using the Bible in the pew, it's page 886. 886. Good morning. My name is Jesus. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the church. It's a joy to be with you this morning in this capacity. Uh, if you're visiting especially, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm not the normal preacher, so come back next week and he'll be back. All right. Romans chapter 6. We are continuing in a series through the book of Romans. And this morning we're going to be looking at Romans 6 verse 15. But over the last couple of chapters, Pastor Rick has been showing us chapter 5. You are justified in Christ. Christ has saved you by the power of his blood. That work is done. Last week at the beginning of chapter 6, we saw that the power of sin is broken in our lives. If you are a believer, sin no longer has a power over you that it did when you were not a believer. The power of sin is broken. And this morning what we're going to see is, if that's true, what should our lives look like then? If sin doesn't have power over us anymore, what does that look like? For us. The message is going to be clear as we go through this text. You'll see it in a few different ways as we work our way through it. But here's the message. There's only two options in life. You either live for sin or you live for righteousness. Okay? You can live for yourself, for your selfish pleasures, or you can live for God and for his righteousness. Before you were a believer, you didn't even have a choice. You could not live for righteousness before you had Christ. And now we do, is what Paul is going to show us. I want to be very clear as we, as we embark. We're going to talk about actions. We're going to talk about obedience. We're not talking about how does somebody get saved, okay? This is not how do you earn your salvation. That's not what we're talking about. That's done. Chapter 5, you're justified. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So if I am a believer, what then should my life look like? here in chapter 6. Here's the outline for you note takers. You got to serve somebody. All right? We're going to see three things from the text. You got to serve somebody. Number 1, being a Christian carries responsibility. Number 2, and number 3, you have been freed from sin for a purpose. For a purpose. All right? Romans 6, verse 15. We ready? Oh, we ready? All right. Verse 6, 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Point number one, you got to serve somebody. 
The picture that Paul uses here to make the point that he's making is a very potent one. It's one of slavery, all right? Slavery has been around as long as people have been around. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. At this time, I read some estimates. They think maybe up to 75% of the people in Rome would have been enslaved. And so Paul is writing using a picture that people would have been viscerally aware of. They know what the implications of slavery are, all right? And as modern-day people, we might think slavery is a thing of the past. It's not. I just did a quick search online. Uh, an estimate that I found said about 50 million people worldwide are still enslaved in modern-day times. And of the 50 million, they estimate about 25% are kids, right? So this isn't a thing of the past. Slavery is a thing and it is ungodly, it is unfortunate, and we should pray that it ends, for sure. And yet, the cruel reality is that when Paul uses the word, we know what he's saying. We understand what slavery is. At the end of the day, slavery is about power, right? One person having power over another one person having control over another. And so I just want to recognize, because of what slavery is, some of us might have a aversion to thinking about yourself as a slave. You might have a reaction to that idea. Just for the next 20 minutes, uh, just temper that for me. Temper that. Listen to what Paul is saying as he uses this picture of slavery through the Spirit, through his word to us this morning. So what is it that he wants us to see from this picture of slavery? What is he telling us? you got to serve somebody. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve righteousness. There's an attitude in American culture that I've come to find. I've lived in a few different places in the U.S. Um, I don't know that it's unique to the U.S., but it's definitely here. Um, I, it's an attitude that I've seen here and not in other cultures and not in other places that I've studied and been. But uh, we as Americans, we love our autonomy and our independence and our personal preferences, right? America, I love it. And uh, in the mid-1900s, Frank Sinatra made this song famous. It's called My Way. And this is the last refrain of the song. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. The record shows I took all the blows and did it my way. Man, we love that. We love that. We don't want to be told what to do. Burger King says you can have it your way. The pro-choice agenda says my body, my choice. Right? Even the Netflix algorithm it only shows you things it thinks you will like. So you don't even see things that it thinks you won't like. Preferences. Unfortunately, I think some of this attitude has crept into church life as well, especially our public church life. You know, I go to this church because I like the music or because I like what they do with the kids or because... You like the handsome substitute preachers. 
That's for my mom. She watches the videos. <laughs> but really, we don't like being told what to do. Yeah, I'll come on Sundays, and I'll, I'll give some money to the church, but don't ask me to serve. Or I'll teach that theology class, but don't ask me to teach the kids. We've done a really good job of curating our lives to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. Do the things I enjoy, avoid the things I don't, and Jesus will accept me as I am. As we were talking about last week's sermon in my community group, someone said, you know, the American dream, a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids, and some Jesus in there would be good too. I'm afraid some of us are teetering with that type of a mentality. Comfort, preference. And in this passage, Paul is painting a picture that's in complete contrast to me and mine. Not only do you not have your preferences, not only do you not have any autonomy, you're a slave. If you are a Christian, you are a slave of righteousness. Paul says this very clearly in 1 Corinthians. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you are a Christian, you are a slave of righteousness. And what is the mark of our servitude? How do you know if you're being a good slave or a bad slave? Look at the text, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is the mark of our servitude? Obedience. Not autonomy. Not personal preference. Obedience. And so Paul is telling us that in this life, there is no morally neutral what you do will either show that you are enslaved to sin or to righteousness. Now, I want to be careful here. We're talking about obedience and actions. And I recognize that some of you, some of us are here and you've been hurt by other churches, you've been hurt by other pastors, and people have used the scriptures to, to twist them and... and uh, you know, meet their own agendas. I just want to be sensitive to that. What you are being called to here is obedience to Christ. Obedience to righteousness. And if that is your situation where somebody has harmed you like that, I apologize. And as one of the pastors here, just hear me say, it is our heart to lead you well. And so... If ever I or we do something that looks like it's not in line with what God would do, by all means, say something, okay? You're called to obedience to Christ, unreservedly so. Unreservedly so. 
The idea of obedience is nothing new. I mean, Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's clear, right? If you are a believer, you will obey. And who you obey will show who you are a slave of. You've got to serve somebody. Who will you serve? Number two, being a Christian carries responsibility. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here at the end of verse 19, he's telling us something. Present your members. Present your members. There's a command in the, in the, in the text there that's a, an imperative. He is telling us we have a responsibility to present our members to righteousness. As a note, what does it say there in the middle of the verse 19? What happens when you present your members to lawlessness and sin? It leads to more. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. My last pastor said this, Sin will take you farther than you ever meant to go and will keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. When you submit yourself to sin, it only produces more sin. Believer, don't follow sin. Present your members as slaves to righteousness. And as Paul continues, look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. It's an interesting phrase. I was trying to think, how can I make sense of this? I think this, this analogy helps. Let's say I go to the store and I, and I see somebody committing a crime. I'm not a police officer. I'm just a pastor sometimes. All right? I see the crime happening. Am I under any obligation to stop that crime from happening? No, right? I'm a civilian. Maybe I want to be aware and what was the guy wearing or something like this. But I'm not under any obligation. I don't owe the law anything in the sense that I need to stop this crime from happening. But if you're a police officer, that's a different story. Right? When you take the oath of a police officer, you are obligating yourself to upholding the law. And so now if a police officer walks in and this felony is happening, this police officer has an obligation to the law to do something about it. And what's he going to do? You know, it depends on circumstance, whatever, whatever. But the difference is because the badge that he owns, he is obligated to the law now. Right? Before we were believers, 
We didn't owe anything to righteousness. Now that you're a Christian, you have an obligation to live for righteousness. The Spirit made you free from the, from the power of sin. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't even do righteousness if you wanted to. But now that you're a believer, you are obligated to live this life righteously. How do you spend your money? Is it your way or is it God's way? Where and how do you spend your time? Is it with people? Purposefully ministering to others? Are you more concerned with vacations and leisure, sports? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Those things aren't inherently bad. But where is your heart? Where is your first priority in these matters? Before I was a pastor, I was an engineer, and I enjoyed my job. It was good. But I used to like going to work to be with my coworkers. There was an opportunity there to just be genuine, to be a friend. Right? Our culture is so far gone that to even just be a real friend is like out of left field. Do you go to work with a mindset like that? How can I show Jesus to these people? Or is it just punch the clock, drive my car into my garage, close the door behind me before the neighbor sees, and walk into my house? We have an obligation to righteousness now because we are freed from the slavery of sin. Are you showing the world that you are a slave of righteousness by how you conduct yourself? Or are you living for your own preferences and pleasures? Believer, being a Christian carries responsibility. We see number one and number two the third point in our outline here, you have been freed from sin for a purpose. You've been freed from sin for a purpose. The power of sin is broken in your life. You have an ability to live for righteousness now. You have a freedom. What should we do with that freedom? Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. 
the picture that Paul's using here is pretty self-explanatory, right? If you're married, you're committed to your spouse. You're, you're obligated to uphold that relationship. If your spouse dies, you're no longer committed, right? Hit the gym, update that profile picture. I'm free. I'm no longer committed to my spouse. But as a believer, are you then just free to go live life however you want? No. God still has rules for us to follow when it comes to living our life. And so similarly here, Paul is saying you're free from sin. You're free from the power of sin in your life. Are you then free to just go do whatever you want? No. What should we then be living for? What purpose have we been freed for? Look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead, that's Jesus. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. He continues in verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Why? So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. As a believer, you're not just free to go live your life however you want. You've been called to live it in the way that God has for you to live it. You've been freed to live for righteousness. Again, before we were believers, before God saved us, we couldn't even live for righteousness if we tried. To think now that he's broken that power of sin and he has good things for us to do. What a privilege. What a privilege that is. Look at how Paul says this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Amen? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Believer, you have been freed from sin for a purpose. What are you doing with that opportunity? What are you doing with that responsibility? Or is your life about your own preferences and comforts? You've been freed from sin for a purpose. Lord, let us live that purpose. Amen? Amen. You've got to serve somebody, church. Who are you going to serve? In your bulletin, you should have received a, a half-sheet diagram that looks something like this. Take that out. 
If you didn't grab one, you can point your phone camera at the screen, pull it up on your, on your phone. I also posted it on Realm with the uh, community group questions, so there's a copy of it there as well. This is what I call the Y diagram. Uh, I didn't invent this, but I've been adapting it over time. This is a tool that I use in counseling. You are free from sin, and now you're a slave to righteousness. Congratulations. What does that even mean? What does that look like day to day? How do I know if I'm doing well there? How do I know, how do I know if I'm being a good slave or a bad slave? Right? I use this tool to help people see, to help people look at themselves, look at their thoughts, feelings, actions, and decide, decipher really, what is it that I'm choosing in these moments? So as we look at the chart, it starts at the bottom. We'll go, we're going to go through it. We're going to walk through it together. But here's the broad picture. It starts at the bottom, and then as life happens, you end up in the middle with choices. And if you go to the right side of the, of the diagram, that's what it looks like when you make a choice to honor yourself. Okay? Oftentimes, to the right there, you see... It says feeling-oriented. It's usually pretty easy to make a feeling that honors yourself and your own desires because it's usually tied to your feelings. And feelings are really easy to listen to. All right? But on the left side of the diagram, you see a different path which says honoring God. And on the left there, it says principle-oriented. And what we're going to see is it's easy to make the choice to honor yourself, but that gets hard over time. And it's hard to honor God. At, when you make the choice, it's hard to make the right choice to honor God. But that gets easier over time. All right? And so we're going to walk through these verses together and see what this picture is that Scripture paints for us. So we start down here at the bottom. I put these little red circles in there. If you get lost, just look for the red circle. Matthew 15. For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Congratulations. This is you. Scripture says you are a heart. Right? Not just you have a heart. You are a heart. Your heart is the center of your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. Out of that fallen heart, out of that sinful heart, come all of these things. Well, that's a good start, right? Not really. But thanks be to God that when he saves us, his spirit comes into our heart, is the way scripture says it. His spirit is now in me, is part of me. And so 1 Corinthians 6 says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you. We just saw that heart. But you were washed. Amen? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you are a believer, you have this dual heart. The Spirit of Christ is me and my fleshly self is me. They're both there. And next week we're going to see that tension in chapter 7. That struggle is still very real. But as we go through this diagram, there's two parts of my heart. The part that wants to honor the Lord, which is the spirit in me, 
and the part that wants to do the wrong thing, which is my flesh. All right? As we move up the diagram, we get to this horizontal line. And underneath that line, it says feelings, emotions, and thoughts. You ever been driving, and you just have the thought, I wonder what it would be like to just run this guy off the road. No? Me either. <laughs> but it's like, where in the world did that come from? I'm not an angry person. Where did this thought come from? And at that moment, I have a choice to make, right? I can either give in to that thought and run the guy off the road, or I dismiss the thought in some way and go, that's crazy. Like, what a, what a silly thought. Okay, keep driving. The point I'm trying to get at here is I have a choice to make at that moment, right? It goes, here's another one. You hear the song and it makes you sad because it reminds you of that person. You didn't ask for that feeling. There it is all of a sudden. I was just walking the dog or something. Now I feel this thing. This thing is in my lap now. Well, I have to do something with it, right? So all I'm trying to show with that horizontal line is at some point, this goes from like the uninvited, random, spurious thought to, okay, now I'm actually going to interact with this thing. Am I making sense? All right. So that brings us to the center of the chart, at which point I have a choice. Here's this crazy thought that just popped into my mind. What am I going to do with it now? Here's this action that I want to take. What am I going to do? Just right of center there, in the middle of the diagram, it says, easy now. Again, it's easy to honor yourself in the moment. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Yeah, this idea sounds great, says the fool, right? It's easy to honor yourself. Oftentimes, that, that decision is tied to our feelings. Our feelings are quick. It's easy to listen to them. But if you make a habit of listening to your feelings, what happens? It gets harder. It says there under the word self, it gets harder. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Sowing and reaping, the idea is if you sow a seed, if you plant a seed, eventually you'll grow a plant. Right? So if you sow to selfishness and sinfulness, eventually you will grow the plant from that seed of selfishness and sinfulness. You put something small in, you get this big product come out. And this verse actually goes on to say, if you sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you reap to the spirit. But do you see the picture? That seed went in pretty small, and it comes out way bigger. The effects of that decision are going to get worse. They're going to get bigger. The other verse there, Proverbs 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. That doesn't sound fun. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Verse 15. Proverbs 13, 15, this is an interesting verse. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. This word treacherous, it's probably more helpfully translated unfaithful. The way of the unfaithful is their ruin. 
The idea being like if you're in a relationship and then you, you break that, that promise of that relationship and you stray, that's that word. The way of the unfaithful is their ruin. You knew what the right thing to do was. You're a believer. You know the truth. And you were unfaithful to that in doing the choice that you did. And what does it say? Good sense wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful is their ruin. What's beyond ruin? <laughs> What's beyond destruction? That's it. That's as bad as it gets. And if you make a habit of honoring yourself and listening to your feelings and making the choice to honor yourself versus honor God, what do you get in life? What does Scripture say? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. A lot of stuff listed there. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If what you give into in your thoughts and your feelings and your actions is your flesh, there you go. There's the works of the flesh. Here's what you'll get. Not a good list. You probably should want to avoid a lot of these things. Right? When we make a habit of honoring ourselves, first and foremost, this is the fruit of what that produces. So as we look at the other side of the diagram, at the point of choice, to, do, to honor God oftentimes is really hard in that moment. It's usually hard because it's tied to a principle. And our principles are not often in line with our feelings. The right thing to do isn't often what I want to do. Okay? Luke 9.23, there at the center. And he said to all, Jesus... If anyone would come after me, let him, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. How fun does that sound? That doesn't sound fun at all. Right? Let's start. Deny yourself. How good are you at denying yourself? There's too much good food around here to deny yourself. Right? We're not good at denying ourselves. Take up your cross. I don't want to do that. Whatever that means. Doesn't sound fun. I don't want to carry that cross and follow me. Like I said earlier, I don't, we don't want to follow anybody. I'm a pretty smart guy. I like my judgments. I'll follow myself. Jesus is saying the opposite. If anyone would come after me, let him take, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds hard to do. But what happens if we make a habit of doing that? Under the word God, it says it gets easier. Proverbs 4, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like the deep darkness, they do not know over what they stumble. This is a really neat proverb. Uh, as modern day people, the, the significance of the darkness is lost on us because if you're in the dark, you just turn on the light and now you can see, right? But imagine a world where there is no electricity. When it's dark, it's dark. 
right? The moonlight is out and that's all you get. But just imagine, if I'm going to walk this path and it's pitch black in here, that's going to be hard. And as the light turns on, or as the, in this analogy, the sun comes up, I can start to see more and more of the path as the sun rises. And we get a good view of the sunrise here, right? You can see the sun come up and things get brighter as the sun comes up overhead. Uh, in, the, in, the, in Scripture specifically, in the ancient Near East, there were a few things that always had the same connotation. The dark is one of them. When you read the dark in Scripture, it's always bad. You, especially in the wisdom literature. Nothing good is in the dark. Evil hides in the dark. Temptation hides in the dark. The dark is a bad thing in Scripture. And it gives that much more vividness, is that the word? Vitality to the picture here. Right? The way of the path of the righteous is like the dawn that breaks the dark. When the sun first cracks the darkness, you can see a little bit. But as it rises, you can see more. And you can see more. And it gets more and more clear. The longer the sun comes up overhead, the more you can see. That's what walking righteously is like. You see more. You see more clearly. Here's another play on the word. Scripture says God is light. And so you get more and more of God, right? You get more and more light as you walk the path of the righteous. What a cool picture. The longer you do this, the more you do this, the more you stay the course, the more you see, the clearer things are, the easier this gets. The more you trust because God is faithful. Matthew 11, just under the Proverbs there. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This word yoke, this is a yoke. You take two cows or ox, two working animals, and that thing that ties them together is a yoke. All right? And oftentimes they'll take like a mature animal and they'll take a young animal and they'll pair them together so that the old one can teach the young one how to work. So you take that yoke and then you strap it to whatever, a wagon, a plow, whatever it is you need to do, and now these animals are working for you, right? You push them down the, the field and they plow the field. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every now and then I come across a verse in the Bible that I wish I could rewrite. This is one of them. If I could rewrite this verse, here's how I would write it. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Drop your yoke. Who wants to do work anyway? Drop your yoke, run off into the water and just be a fat happy cow and sit in the stream. That's how I would write this verse. Who wants a yoke? Who wants to be burdened? But that's not an option here. What is Jesus saying? Take my yoke. You have a choice, believer. Will you take your own yoke, which comes with its burdens and its pains? Or will you take Jesus' yoke? 
How does he describe it? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The choice is yours. Paul said it similarly here in Romans 6. Slave to sin leads to death. Slave to righteousness leads to life. The choice is ours. Are you going to follow your feelings, your preferences, your comforts, and whatever those bring? Or are you going to follow God's instructions, His wisdom, His principles, for His burden is light? When you make a habit of honoring God with your choices, with your thoughts and your feelings and your actions, what do you get? Galatians 5 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Doesn't that sound better than death? Yeah, right? And if you've been a part of church life for any length of time, I think when we come to this, this passage in Galatians, we see the bad list and we think, oh, surely that's not me. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. Okay, well, if I'm not the bad stuff, oh, good, then I'm the good stuff. This is me. I'm a Christian. This is who I am because I'm definitely not that. And what I want to challenge you with on this passage is it's not enough to say you're not that. When you look at this list, are you this? When you look at your life, is love increasing or decreasing in your life? Is peace increasing or decreasing in your heart? Are you growing in patience or are you becoming more and more impatient? Because if you're living by the Spirit and honoring God with your choices, these things will grow in your life. And if you don't see the growth of these things in your life, you have to ask the question, am I really living for the Spirit? Sister, when your life is in turmoil and your peace is growing, that's the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But this is a sober thing to ask yourself. Am I growing in these things? It's too easy to look at the negative and say, yeah, that's not me. Fair. But are you growing here? I put, it, I put this in the community group questions. To You know, you guys can discuss this, but I think this is a, a, a fair picture of the life that we live and the effects that our choices have as Scripture lays them out. The question this morning is, who are you choosing to follow? Who are you choosing to follow? Yourself or righteousness? And have the worship team come back out and we'll wrap up. In 1979, Bob Dylan wrote this song. It's called Gotta Serve Somebody. The last stat, or he says this in the song. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. 
But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob is right. But before Bob said it, Paul said it. And before Paul said it, Jesus said it. And before Jesus said it, Moses heard it on the mountain. And before Moses heard it, God told Adam in the garden. And here we are, living for this Jesus, being challenged again. Who will you serve today? We have a calling, church. May we live as slaves of righteousness and so represent the name of Christ. Amen? Father, grant us this prayer this morning that we would live our lives in a way to be worthy of the name that we claim of Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org. Thank you.